0: You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America
1: Latina in Foco.
0: A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region.
1: Will Russian bots decide the outcome of the Mexican election? What was the actual size of the crowd at Donald Trump's inauguration? Did California's governor sign a law requiring all students to learn Spanish? This is Karin and the question we have today is, how do we open our smartphones and know what's real and what's fake news? A recent MIT study points out that on Twitter, a false story reaches 1,500 people six times quicker on average than a true story does. For Latin Americans who consume social media at higher rates, The fake news problem goes beyond what to share on someone's timeline, especially during election season.
0: The amount of information we now consume in one day is larger than what a citizen in the Middle Ages consume in their whole lives. But that's even worse. uh, uh, The last statistic I was able to find is that it has multiplied by four since 1986.
1: Luisa Garcia, partner and COO of Latin America for Llorente y Cuenca, talked with ASCOA's Alana Tumano at an event in New York about how these drastic shifts in how we consume media present new challenges to private companies, governments, and citizens.
2: So welcome to everyone. Um, It's so nice to see some familiar faces here, some new faces as well. Um, This is a very timely conversation and we're so pleased that Luisa Garcia is here with us today on a timely conversation on Latin America in the era of fake news, a new citizenship. Um, I think we've all seen how fake news can present a, a real threat to Western democracies and Latin America is not immune to this, especially as it faces its own election cycle uh, this coming year. We're looking at three major elections, in La- I mean, and others as well, but the, the major elections in, in Mexico in Colombia and Brazil, and so I think this is a really timely conversation to take a look at these elections um, as well as, as fake news in general as it relates to Latin America. Um, you know these societies are deeply polarized and vulnerable to misinformation. And social media apps like WhatsApp can really light up like fire. And, and news travels extremely quickly and a lot and a lot quicker than, than than regular news. And so I think it's important that that we talk about this new paradigm that we're living in. I wanted to frame the conversation in I think three major areas uh, were the questions that we'll talk about, and then like I said, we'll open it up. Um, the first is um, we'll discuss this different this change in paradigms, kind of the world we're living in and what does that mean and what are the implications for citizens and for governments and for companies. The next, uh, we want to look at fake news in the political context, um, more from a geopolitical perspective, Latin America versus the United States versus other markets. Um, And then we're also going to talk about from fake news in a corporate perspective, so what companies need to do uh, when when they're facing these kinds of issues. Um, So the first is this change in paradigms idea Mm -hmm. that we discussed. So we are living in a whole new world in terms of connectedness and social networks. Um, So how, you know, looking at how is fake news spread? How does technology aid in the spreading of misinformation, particularly in Latin America, where platforms like WhatsApp are so prevalent? um, And what is the implication of this? And what is the role of the citizen, government and private sector in this? in this new paradigm in which we are
0: living wonderful now thanks a lot for the invitation it's a pleasure and i really i am really looking forward for the second part of the conversation because it really helps us also to enrich our perspectives and, and learn from how things are, are seen from here and, and from your different uh, positions and professions you now uh, it's true that we are from our perspective in a very deep change of paradigm um, not only from from a position of how news and the, and the news media is changing, but how in general all organizations relate to the audiences to the public opinion and to this new citizenship so um, it's actually we have a we have a book that we that we published uh, early this year with the best works that our in-house think tank produced last year and its its title is citizenship because it's a common thread that we see everywhere where we operate and also where we don't about organizations wondering how do i deal with this how do i relate to people now and how do i get my content and my message through? How do I recover trust? Um, The truth is also that some things haven't changed that much. Hmm. Uh, Fake news have always been around. I was thinking about examples that we may uh, all remember, but uh, if you think about the campaign that Panama did more than a century ago in order to get the financing for the Panama Canal, Hmm. one of the tactics that that their team used was a smear campaign against Nicaragua for instance, no, and I don't know if you know this, but they they distributed amongst the US Congress people a stamp from Nicaragua showing the volcano active, the main volcano in Nicaragua being active and so they said how are you gonna build a canal in a country with active volcanoes? No, this is crazy, you have to do it in Panama. So that's fake news. Hmm. What has changed, of course, is the platforms and the amount of information and the speed that that information can be distributed. And and of course, it's not a matter of now, you have to deal with this rumor, with this urban myth existing in Congress, uh, or existing in your community, but those barriers and those frontiers have absolutely been erased. Just to give you a, a couple of numbers, I'm sure you have heard this, this thing about the amount of information we now consume in one day is larger than what a citizen in the Middle Ages consume in their whole lives. Oh, wow. But that's even worse. It's, uh, uh, the last statistic I was able to find is that it has multiplied by four since 1986. So what's interesting is how does our brain cope with this amount of information overload? And interestingly enough, what we do is we switch off. Mm. And we don't pay a lot of attention to that that doesn't connect with our own emotions, with our own beliefs. And that's why you have to look more, I think, at the human side of fake news. We usually discuss fake news in terms of technology, which is true. and. But we think about the bots, for instance. We think about how these bot farms uh, have uh, spread the fake news. Uh, there's a very recent article, and I will send you the references if you want right. to share them with, with the audience. But there's a, a very different article in the New York Times about uh, the, the last study in the MIT about this, this subject. And it's not bots who have spread fake news. Fake news are 70% more probable, more probable of being retweeted by humans than real news. Because those who build, uh, who create those fake news, (coughs) do it understanding a lot better how our minds work, and the truth is our minds don't work that well. And so it's emotion, it's novelty, what what those in charge of building content for whatever reason um, have managed and achieved, and, and that we, on the other side, have to learn how to how to do. So the challenge, and that's, uh, and I'm going to go to the change of paradigm um, very soon, the challenge is not only in terms of how do I use technology better, but how do I create content in a much more effective way in this era of what we call infoxication, hmm. the level of information yeah. that we yeah. all have and how that makes us yeah. um, a lot harder to, hmm. to differentiate uh, good content from not so good content Um, a couple of things that we think uh, are are really um, um, the sign of our times uh, the the amount of information but also the crisis in trust the 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 concept of trust has changed a lot so uh, this new citizenship in the u.s in latin america but everywhere else as well doesn't trust authority anymore. Knowledge, authority, uh, hierarchy, are not a synonym of trust anymore. Trust is earned, but mostly trust is given to someone who is much more similar to you. You identify a lot more with those closer to you, and you give them at least the benefit of the doubt, while you do exactly the opposite with those in an authoritarian in a position of authority. So if the fake news comes through someone you know, you immediately think they are not fake. When the real news comes from a source of authority, you immediately think they have something in play there, so they are not as objective as they should be. So it's exactly the other way around. As what we were used to think or how, you, how we used to to build, so it 's not that we don't trust anyone anymore it 's that we trust those who are like us instead of those who are in a position of authority mm. to be to be trusted or that we should be trusted so um, mm. uh, a, a lot more emotional than rational, a lot more closer than Uh, than farther away or than in in terms of hierarchy and a lot more content that we are used to deal with. So Mm -hmm. that brings a whole context in which fake news are a part of a whole new paradigm in how organizations have to communicate, share information and build credibility, which at the end of the day is what we we all need to, to do.
2: That's interesting. I think thinking a little bit about that in terms of you're almost kind of breaking down the psychology behind it a little bit more, like why we think, you know, if I'm going to retweet something from someone I know, so does it almost become, you know, if we're talking about the implications for individuals and the citizens, it's almost like to really understand your own biases as an individual and to, you know, I'm just thinking, so so what? So what does that mean for us? You know, like how do we, how do we cope with that? It's just kind of taking... That on yourself and understanding your biases and who you're getting your news from and who you're well, well you know.
0: neuroscience it's really yeah. it's really changing the way we understand how we make decisions I mean it's changing the way economists predict how consumers make decisions yeah. how investors make decisions and they have uh, they're reaching the same conclusion which is it's not as rational as we would like uh, right. to think it is no right. so it's the same thing
2: that's really interesting. Um, so, switching gears a little bit, this, the idea that we talked about fake news in the political context. So, as we mentioned, we're looking at a, a big election season coming up. Um, we have the Colombians already had the first round of their elections, and we're going for the second round. Mexico, July 1st; Brazil, in October. Um, so, you know, this was a big issue, obviously, in the United States with fake news or, or Russia meddling in the U.S. elections. Are there? threats of this for these big elections in Latin America. Is Latin America similar to the US in this framework? Is it different country by country? What are those major challenges? And if it is different from the US, why is that? Um, So just uh, kind of getting your perspective on on what what we have to look at in Latin America in the coming months.
0: Um, I think that what uh, we we have to see, I mean, we'll we'll see. And it's, it's getting harder and harder to predict what's happening in the election processes everywhere. No? And I'm not in the, uh, I'm, you, you guys have a much closer experience than, than we do related to, to that. But the truth is that uh, it seems that it's getting harder and harder to make people change their positions. So that no matter how strong fake news campaigns are, you're not gonna make a voter of Petro become a voter of Duque in Colombia. The polarization, it's is not about that. Those have decided. The impact is mostly related to participation. It's mostly, is mostly related to mobil, mobilization. Is that a word in English? Mm-hmm. I'm saying it right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, particularly, for instance, in Mexico, 40% of younger voters are not going to vote. So that's what really can make a difference. So sometimes we look at fake news in terms of the smear campaigns, thinking that someone is going to vote for the other guy, Mm -hmm. and that's not what's going to happen. The the, the higher risk is of them staying home Mm -hmm. and not voting, or one of the parts being able of mobilizing more than the other, and therefore more people on one side voting while the others stay at home. And that's what I think happened in the U.S. campaign. and, and I think it can be the same thing in, in Latin America. What I think is a higher concern in Latin America is that because of, because of the fake news strategies uh, are focusing in participation, they are not only smearing the candidates, but they are, are putting doubt about the democratic processes. So you, s- you saw, for instance, in Colombia during the first round, a lot of fake news about the process itself about the ballots, about the electoral colleges, about so, in a region like ours where institutions are a lot weaker than we wish them to be, this can be riskier in our perspective than the impact of one on one candidate. You probably won't change the needle about of, of the support towards one or the other candidate, but you will change the level of confidence of on democracy itself, on the institutions themselves. So some, that's something to to be a bit more worried about. And then, of course, whoever uses it more efficiently can also change the agenda. For the traditional media, for the debate. so it can be distru- it can be distracting. Um, depends on how. Uh, for instance, uh, um, in uh, López Obrador in Mexico, is responding with uh, with humor uh, to his to the accusations of him being linked with the Russians, and so he's managing it to become. An attribute, so he positions himself yeah. as a victim instead of it being um, a, a destructive enough. But still, it can be it can be uh, it can be harder for the programs for the proposals to be discussed when everything that's in the news is about about these ideas. Um, a couple of more things that are happening in Latin America in this in this context. Of course, the mobile explosion. You're right about WhatsApp. It's a lot more significant than we think in Latin America. And, and also the, we need to bear in mind that the digital and the physical world live together. So in the closer-knit communities, it's not the, the if, if we need to qualify, if we want to qualify the spread of this fake news, we shouldn't be only thinking about how much, uh, how many retweets it got, but how much those tweets are being commented on the on the real world, so uh, and that happens, as you know, in Latin America, usually um, with more strength because the, the communities are closer and the, and and societies are are closer. Um, if, uh, more things, probably, probably from an American perspective, the decline of traditional media is already a reality. In Latin America, it's coming five years later, ten years later, but. at at an incredible speed so at the time when we need more this quality journalism is when we are lacking more those media who can counteract uh, fake news although I think that some of the most interesting initiatives we are seeing in the campaign and again the example of Colombia is very interesting the example of Brazil is very interesting is Traditional media understanding they have something to say in this context and uh, there is uh, for instance in Colombia in El Tiempo is doing las Fake del face for instance, mm-hmm. so they are they are really uh, playing an active role in uh, in fighting uh, fake news The other thing that is uh, that is very um, I don't know if uh, very worrying, but it's also but it's also worrying uh, in Latin America is that the the regulators are very slow in adapting to this new framework. So uh, um, there is, on the one hand, a lot of a higher political concern about how to handle this because of the risk for freedom of speech, because anything that can be interpreted as being an excuse for censorship is not going to move forward at the speed it's needed. And, uh, but there is also that uh, our regulators don't understand what's going on. Uh, so they don't, re- I mean, if Washington hasn't been able to develop a regulation, I don't think that the, I don't know, the Senate in Guatemala is going to be able to do, it, uh, to do it very fast. So uh, we're seeing a few things in terms of law enforcement, but very few. Uh, for instance, in Mexico, the agency that was doing fake news for the PRI was sanctioned but the, the uh, electoral court wasn't able to find the connection mm. with the PRI. Mm. Uh, another thing that is said to have an impact in this is that the, um, the regulation for campaign contributions in Latin America is actually uh, making anonymity and therefore this kind of under the radar, the radar contributions be more easy than they should be. Mm. So there's a... I think there is a a risk, to summarize, there is more a risk towards participation than towards changing the voting preferences. There is a risk of the electoral process and the institutions losing credibility, which is, I think, more worrying than the process itself. There is a slowness uh, slowness in the adaptation of the regulatory framework, as it's happening everywhere. Nobody knows what to do with this. Uh, The European Union, the US Congress, they are still asking Zuckerberg, uh, how do you make your money? And and there is a very interesting role of some of the traditional media in playing the the, the fact checking role uh, in in the context of the campaigns.
2: And do you notice a big difference between the countries themselves um, in these, um, I think, very, I think, um, helpful conclusions that you just drew for us? Do you feel like between Mexico and Brazil and Colombia, for example, these three major countries that we're looking at in Latin America and these in the in the instances participation and the regulatory role and the cha- do you see differences among those countries as well, or do you see kind of these are the bigger trends that are coming
0: out? I think the debate is kind of the same, and yeah. their concerns are kind of the same. I think the big tech giants, Facebook Google
1: mm-hmm.
0: are more involved in Brazil and Mexico, probably because their teams, their businesses are bigger are there, there. Yeah. Uh, and they are you know the, the, the stakes are higher if they screw up, but I think the challenges are the same, the questions are the yeah. same, uh, the impact I think is going to be more or less the same
2: mm-hmm. um, so the third part that we wanted to discuss before we open it up uh, was this idea of Okay, so what are the implications from a corporate perspective? Um, we talked about this a little bit, companies that can no longer rely on traditional means to counteract fa- fake news as it comes to them. Um, so what do companies need to do to ensure that they're not caught up in all of this? How do they react? Uh, what, what successful examples have you seen? What advice do you give?
0: Um, I, don't, I, I mean, the first thing that probably we need to do is, again, change our paradigm, no? Um, mm-hmm. Traditionally, if you had a rumor spread about a company, and it was by a journalist who wasn't very important, very influential, or you know, a third-level news media, our advice to our, to our clients would be, don't pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. No, Don, eh, no muerdas el cebo. Eh, I don't know what the translation would be in, in English for that. No? So um, that has to be changed completely. If there is a rumor, if there is a fake news, you have to react immediately. Otherwise, it's too big, and the footprint is going to be too hard to erase if you don't act immediately. Um, and there are many things happening. I mean, we've all heard there are products, I, I don't know. There's uh, fake news about McDonald's, French fries, uh, their ingredients being good for alopecia for instance, or... Oh, I didn't, um, know that. Hmm. <laughs> didn't hear that one. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm sure most of you have heard about the other end and cancer, yeah. or lipstick and cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very hard, to, very hard to counteract those content, that content that has such a strong emotional uh, strength. No? And uh, so a couple of things we recommend. First is listening. And it's surprising how many companies are not listening. And you have a universe of conversations to analyze. With uh, if you have the tools, it can become a radar to see the trends happening with uh, with an anticipation enough to be able to develop the content, to spread the right version, etc. What we usually see as a crisis is not a crisis. It's the tip of an iceberg that was building, and you haven't been able to see. And then it is when it becomes spread by an influential, uh, uh, from a YouTuber, or from a, a key opinion leader, that you start worrying about it. But it was boiling in the, in, the, no? in the underground. So listen, pay attention to the trends, and start playing with technology in your favor to be able to analyze all this noise and react on time. The other is, do not underestimate anyone. On the contrary, play with this new paradigm of trust in your favor. If we trust each other more than we trust authority, why don't you let your employees be your best ambassadors? They are going to have a much higher level of credibility than the boss, the CEO, or the corporate message. Their families, their friends, their communities are going to pay a lot more attention on what they say compared to what the CEO says. And the third is learn to build your content with a much more emotional perspective and and, and, and use those same techniques. And fake news is, uh, are using to be more convincing in your favor. So. Um, Probably you cannot be 100% emotional because you're still a corporation there's still legal responsibilities and so on and so on. But you have to learn to connect and engage in the content you produce. And and the, the other good news is that you can have your own media. You don't depend on the traditional media anymore. So that is not built in one day. But you can do it with, uh, with time. No? Uh, we have a company like Telefonica last week announced its global agreement with Netflix. Three, two, three years ago, how do you imagine the CEO of Telefonica announcing that agreement? It would probably be by a press, press release, release yeah. with a very serious quote. Maybe a picture of the two CEOs sign signing in with in the same Mont Blanc fountain pen no? in a very serious. At the most, a press conference saying happy they are to, to, to know each other. What, the, what the, chairman, the global chairman of Telefonica has done is a video, I invite you to see it in YouTube, mm. in which he plays a sketch with the CEO of Netflix. So they are pretending, they are doing a show, and the way this video is presented, the way the agreement is communicated, is by him tweeting the link to the YouTube video. Of course, he has been working on this for I don't know how many years, and he has 3,000 followers. So it cannot be done from one day to the other. You cannot be, uh, you have to, in order to be prepared to react for a crisis, if you have fake news against you, if you have rumors, you have to to be engaged in this new paradigm of communication for a long, long time before. If not, you don't have the same weapons, no? you're trying to fight. The war with a bow and, a, and an arrow, no, and at the same time they are bombing you with a cyber attack. It's like a, hmm. two different, two different worlds. So, um, one thing that one final word is that, uh, and I, we were talking about this this morning at the at the office. Um, the same thing that what concerns us most about the fake news in the electoral process in Latin America is the mining of trust in institutions and democracy itself. Mm-hmm. In terms of corporation, Latin, America, uh, Latin American uh, CEOs and, and directors are the most complacent in terms of the digital transformation. There is a recent study by KPMG in which uh, C- Latin American CEOs see the danger of disruptive uh, competitors changing their position in the market Uh, 10 points less than their counterparts anywhere else. Mm. So if I think it's 38% of the American, European, Asian CEOs say this may happen to me, there might be a new competitor disrupting our entire industry very soon. So they see it as a threat, they prepare for it. Right. It's only 20% of Latin American yeah. CEOs. So we are a bit complacent. Yeah. And that's a da- that, I think that's, that's, a, very, danger. That, that's yeah. a danger. Yeah.
1: So how can we build trust when it's lacking? Can regulations help or do companies like Facebook need to engage in self-regulation? Luisa Garcia offers a few solutions such as building new narratives.
0: We talk a lot about the story doing. There's a, I mean, the first thing that organization, ha, that organizations have to do is to do things differently and to understand that the time has, uh, times have changed and that they cannot hide behind anyone else. No, they really need to accept their mistakes and to demonstrate that they are doing things better. Uh, That as a general perspective. The other is I think that organizations need to understand that they are part of this ecosystem in which you build credibility with time and you build credibility by understanding um, that it's not about you anymore. It's about you adding value to the community you want to participate in in our work in communication, we used to think that we used to talk about the perception gap. So I'm Luisa, I do a wonderful job, people don't know this yet. They don't like me very much because they don't know enough. Mm. So my work was to fill in the information gap. If I tell them everything I do, they will end up changing their perception because they'll understand how, well I am, how good I am, no? and they will love me. We now know that this is not the real gap. The gap we have to face in the organizations is between how you perceive me and what you expect from me. And expectations have a lot more to do with our common beliefs and not so much to do with the information you give me. So if you think that banks are corrupt, you do expect them to be corrupt. The effort you have to make to change that perception is huge. It's not only a matter of information. And that's the starting point, understanding those beliefs, that may allow you to rebuild trust. Let's look at, the, at other industries, for instance. Let's look at the alcohol industry, what it has done and what it has learned about self-regulation. It doesn't mean your product is perfect. It means, first of all, acknowledging that a wrong use of your product Can have negative effects. So the first thing, while doing that, the first thing you do is informing others on how to use your product properly, or not encourage, not encouraging, Mm -hmm. not not encouraging the irresponsible use of your product. Something as simple as that is a big step forward. How, how aware are you of the use Facebook is doing on, on your data? How obvious it is that certain information on your wall is paid by, and it's not uh, and it's not free. Uh, how do you train that? I think that's uh, what uh, restrictions you make for certain for certain advertisers, and how you do. This is something that traditional media does. You cannot. Some of them will allow you to place an ad with whatever content you want. Some of them won't. And um, so so there's a lot. I mean. What I I think is that we won't probably have the complete solution, but there is a lot of space for progress to be done. I do think that Facebook is going to have to regulate itself effectively, otherwise its business is going to die. The reputational crisis that Facebook is going through, I think it's very, very deep. And that's, if you want to be optimistic, That's the positive side of these huge monopolies. If Facebook, Google, Twitter regulate themselves, you have, I don't know, 90% of the work done, really.
2: Um, No, it's true, I mean, because you have Mark Zuckerberg giving testimony and they're almost asking him, okay, so you tell us, what regulations would be helpful? Like, what do we need to do almost to help regulate? They have no clue. The experts are on the other side. You know, the people who really know this stuff are, Mark Zuckerberg and his folks at Facebook versus people who are in the Senate or the House of Representatives who don't even understand the platform that well. So I think that you're right in that that's, uh, you know, 90% of the job could be done if, if they really take that act. And maybe it's the self preservation yeah. Act more than anything to keep their businesses going and keep their credibility it's a, um,
0: yeah. it's a very interesting uh, uh, session to, to re-watch from yeah. that perspective. When we watched it the first time, everybody was looking at Zuckerberg, if he was sweating, if he was blinking, if he was wearing a suit instead of his uh, hoodie and so on. But, but the other way to look at it was what kind of questions right. were the Congress people asking? Right. I, it, it was really ridiculous. No? Yeah, it was really, the, the level of preparation was like, yeah, I mean there were a lot of right. uh, jokes about it. But I do believe in self-regulation a lot mm. and I think it's going to happen a lot faster and it's going to be a lot more effective than, I think it would be a, a big mistake now to stimulate our markets to start regulating the Internet. Right. There are too many questions to be answered yet what is media, what is not? Uh, what is intentional, what is not? What I think is not, a, we are not doing any favor if because of it not being intentional, being misinformation, we don't respond or react. Because that's how we make the problem bigger. And that's how we end up having the level of uh, um, misinformation that allows for fake news to be believed without a question of doubt. Um, and again, I think that's where traditional media plays a very important role. If, what is the quality control in content? Uh, so I do think that probably my message would be let's start acting on what we can act while the other questions are resolved because if we wait for the full picture to be defined and we wait for all, to have all the answers, we'll never get there. So, uh, and I think it's a matter of our own responsibility, just like I said, no? So it's uh, the politician needs to do something, but the corporation needs to do something, the journalist needs to do something, us as citizens need to do something, the schools need to act on it. So it's this whole new environment that we should be looking at and and what can we do instead of waiting for the the magic answer to, to come? Who is responsible for it? The same way that we have learned not to believe I don't know, commercial promotions that are too good to be true. And you've developed without, without being aware of it, enough knowledge of what is too good so that you don't fall into those traps. Uh, the same way that you've developed and some people still falls into it, no? But you have developed a certain level of awareness against, I don't know, fizzing, uh, emails no and you don't give your personal information anymore and before maybe you did mm-hmm. when you received an email saying you've won a promotion and or uh, remember about this chain of emails like I'm I'm a Nigerian prince right. who has been <laughs> hey it, 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 it wasn't that long ago that people would send you right. this saying hey should, it, should, it, should it, have you seen this opportunity this is fantastic we've built hmm. new skills to uh, to, uh, filter that information uh, and that's why I think the opportunity is very big because if you can position yourself as a credible source of information you become part of that skill set part of the toolbox that consumers can use but you need to respond very fast you cannot wait we see it in corporations every day there's a rumor and we 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 need 48 hours to work on the statement and go. No, no, no. You have to be ready in 30 minutes. Um, if you if you manage to do that, you can have a very good chance of uh, of becoming uh, that that fact-checking uh, organization. No.
2: So let's give a big hand to Luisa. Thank, thank you, you. Oh, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful.
1: Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zissis. This podcast was produced by Louisa Lemmy. The music in this episode was recorded at America Society in New York City. Find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If so, please leave us a review and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Stitcher.